Hey, I'm Jess O'Callaghan, and this is the Audiocraft podcast, recorded on the day by Podcast One Australia. In November 2018, Spotify's SoundUp Bootcamp worked with 10 First Nations storytellers to develop their podcasts, taking the seed of an idea and shaping it into a reality. Nicole Hutton, Bo Spearham, Rowdy Walden and Steve Bumbergee Hotterwatt then received a grant to continue development. In this session, they present their podcasts and share how their work in progress is growing and changing. Moderating the panel is Lorena Allam. Lorena is the Indigenous Affairs Editor at Guardian Australia and the 2018 Walkley Award winner for Innovation in Journalism. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. That's Rudy Bremer. She's much more interesting than she give, gives credit for. Uh, she's a producer at Away at Radio National, the Indigenous Arts and Culture Show on RN, every Saturday at 6 and Tuesdays at 12 there. Um, and as she said, I'm Lorena Allam. I'm the Indigenous Affairs Editor for Guardian Australia, long-time uh, radio and podcast producer and uh, sometime manager at the ABC. Um, I've been at The Guardian now for just over 12 months. Um, and these four uh, very deadly people here are the winners of that Spotify bootcamp um, project. And I'm very excited by their, and you will be too when you hear what they've been working on. So we should get stuck into the conversation, which we want to we talk about what, why First Nations voices are important in this space and what they have to say and the diversity of stories that need to be told and um, why they can really um, rock your world. So I'll just probably introduce uh, myself as a Gamilara Yuwalaro woman from far northwest New South Wales. I would like to pay my respects to the Gadigal people whose country this is. Sovereignty was never ceded. And I thank them for allowing us to live and work on this beautiful country. My family are all from far northwest New South Wales, as I said, Gamilara Yuwalaro mob and... Um, we just did a quick count outside where pretty much all of us are Camilleroy. So Rudy, Bo, <laughs> Rowdy and Travis, if Travis is here up the back, another another Gomeroy man. So <laughs> that's an overrepresentation I can totally get behind. Um, <laughs> so um, um, what I'm going to do is introduce you, I'm going to get our podcasters to introduce themselves to you and tell you a little bit about what their ideas are and then you'll get to hear a little bit of what they've been working on. So without further ado, who's both nodding? He's going to go first. Anya. Uh, Yama, Bo Spiram, Gumroi, Kuma, Marawari um, and would yeah, love to pay respects to the traditional owners. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land and as Lorena said, sovereignty was never ceded. Um... Yeah, and my podcast idea about, um, it was really good what Lorena sort of alluded to at the start is understanding the importance of the perspective of First Nations people. But I think, you know, uh, we know the importance of that. I think, you know, non-Aboriginal people should reflect on the importance of Aboriginals, Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people's uh, input in today's society as well. So maybe that's something that as non-Aboriginal people can take away, you know, when they leave here today um, after hearing, I guess, you know, the diversity of, um, you know, podcast ideas because that's something very, very important, you know, um, and that's something that we talk about every day is the importance that we have to impact society. But as a very marginalised community within Australia, it's not necessarily, you know, um, our views 
or our or our movements that's going to actually change society. You know, we do make up the small minority, three percent of the population. Um, outside my little piece for you to sort of hopefully take home and think about. But uh, my podcast um, idea is is about truth telling and looking at um, the relationships that were forged um, in the earlier days um, of this country and looking at the relationships through uh, frontier wars and understanding how that shaped the next 200, 250 years, you know, um, of, of this country. Well, one of the reasons why I love podcasting is because it gives, you know, that narrative back to Aboriginal people. Um, it takes it out of the books, you know, for the last 200 years, um, how that's been written um, and how that's been reported on um, and sort of how that's been shared within this country has um, really impacted the way, you know, Aboriginal people exist today, you know, in Australia. So my idea and the importance of using podcasts is sort of deconstructing how to tell, you know, the truth behind what sort of shaped this country. Um, and my idea is sort of based around... Um, a few individuals, one is Pemway down here, one is Dundalee in Brisbane, one is um, Jaegen in, in, in Western Australia, uh, and then there's an auntie uh, in Tasmania. Uh, I, I always forget to, uh, how to pronounce her name, um, but she was known as Whaler. And it's just sort of looking at their relationship that they had in those times, in early settler um, times, um, in their respected areas, and sort of the legacy that, that has sort of um, left today. I, I, I caught up with um, a friend last night and was just yarning about um, the relationship that young people, um, in particular young Aboriginal people, have in today's society. Um, and I don't know if any of you is... Uh, we're recording? OK, right here, sorry. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> I don't know if any of you saw this, but a few weeks ago um, in Brisbane there was a um, uh, Four Corners report on the over-incarceration of young people in adult prisons. Um, I was talking to a human rights lawyer last night that actually worked with a young kid um, a few years ago about his mistreatment in one of the youth detention centres in Brisbane. <clears throat> and, I, and I mentioned to him, I was like, um, a few years ago I had a rally to commemorate Dundalee, a warrior in Brisbane. Uh, this young boy, his father, his uncles and whatnot were in, were in attendance, his mother. And he made the correlation between um, Dundalee being the last Aboriginal person hung and executed publicly um, is a direct descendant to this young boy. You know, and, 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 and it's looking at sort of the, you know, this colonial history in terms of how, you know, people who are attached to sort of this certain figure are still sort of coming in contact with these um, individuals. But, you know, it's, it's looking at the relationship and I wanted to sort of tell the story of these individuals through the eyes of, like, a young person and an older person as well. Um, I think, yeah, you know, I've, I've sort of had this idea um, floating around in my head for quite some time, um, looking at the history of this country, looking at the relationship in this country and sort of seeing how to tell that story, you know, in the best way I think that you know, um, I could sort of facilitate a space to sort of have, you know, a young person and an elder sort of help collaborate on the story would be through podcasting, um, would be through, um, you know, one of the, I guess, one of the oldest ways of telling stories, you know, which um, 
you know, still has a continuing connection to this continent. And I think that's why, one, I pick podcasting, and two, um, I don't read much, um, but I feel through the way that we listen to people's voices, you know, we can understand more about um, their emotions and especially about sort of, you know, pulling out, you know, the truth strings as well, which I think is very, very important. But um, I think I'm rambling on. <laughs> but my idea is about, yeah, you know, frontier wars and looking at how to sort of um, tell that story and how that sort of story um, is important today. I know why it's important. Um, and I think the Aboriginal people who would be involved in sort of this um, the journey with me know why it's important. I guess it's sort of just, you know, who's somebody outside of sort of this conversation, why do they think it's important? You know, like, um, and I guess that's essentially why I'm making it, to sort of evoke people's um, relationships um, and their feelings towards, you know, Aboriginal people. Thanks, Bo. G'day. Um, uh, my podcast uh, is about sex. Um, it's called Search Engine Sex, and it's looking at the most Googled sex questions. Um, so every year Google releases um, 10 questions, um, which are all the things that we've been Googling. Uh, so it's 10 episodes long, and we sort of dive into um, all sorts of interesting and weird things that we've been Googling. Yeah. For, for example, just an example. Um, the first episode, um, the question that uh, it's number nine on the list is um, how to insert a male organ into a female organ. And so I'm just, we just unpack that. Um, uh, See what I said about the diversity of voices in, in First Nations podcasting? <laughs> Hello. Um, my name is Nicole. I'm a Gardawa woman. So um, where that is, is basically in the Gulf of Carpentaria. So it's um, east of Borrelola. The closest community that we have is called Robinson River. Um, and basically my podcast, the idea came from um, I'm, I'm a campaigner and I've been working as a campaigner for about two and a half years now, I'm mainly working on climate change issues for First Nations communities. So um, it kind of came from the work that I do um, and I really fell in love with hearing stories from people and hearing the stories that, um, you know, the people in the front lines to climate change impacts but also to the extraction of fossil fuels um, but also any mining really. Um, I grew up in a regional town in um, northwest Queensland named Cloncurry. I don't know if anyone has heard of that. But um, there it's like the large the communities built around mining now and it didn't used to be like that when I was a kid. So like growing up and the changes in the community, um, the changes in the economy, people moving away, it's not the same as when I was a kid. It's not the same when my mum grew up there. Um, so I really wanted to um, look on that and look at how... First Nations communities are impacted by mining, climate change and everything like that. So I, I'm kind of starting it off, though, with a story about the extraction of lead and zinc, a lead and zinc mine in Boralula. It's called the MacArthur River Mine. So I don't know if many of you have heard, but last year there was a notice put on the doors of large rangers' houses in the community about how they can't drink their water, they can't even brush their teeth with it. So um, because there's contamination of lead in the water. So they've said now that it's clean and it's fine to drink and um, it's safe again. But a lot of people don't trust don't trust the notices, don't trust the authorities, don't trust the mind to tell them what's safe or not. So um, I've been spending the past few weeks 
um, doing tests in the community, so like testing the drinking water, testing the river, and um, you'll hear a bit about it in my um, short beginning, but we actually found that the water contained more heavy metals than in the river. So, yeah, so I'm doing kind of like a bit of investigative podcasting, so like trying to figure out the answers of why why promises that are made to communities aren't being held up by the mining companies, but also how governments can keep going on with letting climate change happen without doing anything about it. So it's kind of, yeah, it's it's a, a bunch of different stories woven in to um, kind of tell one cohesive story. She's basically the black Erin Brockovich. <laughs> Hello, um, Steve Banbaji Hotawad. I'm a ladle man from also up in the Gulf of Carpentaria, northwest Queensland, um, on Mornington Island, or Gunana we call it. And I'm the chilpy, the old fella. I've uh, been in media about 20 years, um, or Indigenous community media. Um, so I grew up in Bandawala Springs, uh, worked at Karma, Central Australian Aboriginal Media Association, uh, moved back to country up to the Gulf uh, a few years ago. And um, so, yeah, I uh, was working up until this week or last week at Mendian Gunana, the um, arts centre, and also uh, youth and doing youth and media. Um, but that was also born out of... Um, the company was born out of uh, the Mornington Island Dancers, one of the first um, traditional Aboriginal dance, touring dance groups. Um, so, you know, all the old uncles and dads and family uh, danced at the opening of the opera house. And so for me, you know, going back to country, um, I guess trying to um, hang on to or or reclaim that um, cultural knowledge has been important. And um, so that's why a podcast um, that uh, working on is called uh Culture Bingo, and is focused on uh, ladle dreaming or traditional knowledge uh, stories, but then also using the process as well as a as a device to get um, the youth who you know, um, like everyone else, are sort of um, moving away from retaining that culture. So, as a device to try and get them back in, or so you'll have you know the grandson hopefully um, doing the recording. Uh, recording the stories from the elders themselves um, before they're gone. Um, so as you can hear, and we'll play some audio from each um, each of the podcasts as we go, they're very diverse ideas. So you get a sense that there's a lot of stories in First Nations communities that need to be told and need to be told by First Nations people. So that. Spotify is giving this opportunity to skill people up so they can and do their own. It's not to say they don't already come, as you can hear, with a multitude of skills already. But I guess my first question, and you, you can all just jump in where you like, but what, what do you think has been the most challenging part of the process? Who wants to go first? Rowdy. Sure. Um, <laughs> I have worked in TV for about nine years, and so the biggest thing I found was not having a picture which sounds really stupid because it's exactly the same. But for two months I was like, I can't, I can't do it. Like there's like no one can see it. No one's going to understand what's going on. Um, so I, that for me it was like getting over that personal barrier of like 
it's the same. Storytelling's exactly the same no matter what medium. Um, but, yeah, learning the art and craft of recording and making a story with no images has been the biggest thing for me. Um, f- uh, the biggest thing for me was probably narrowing it down. If you talk to uh, First Nations people uh, from across the continent, you'll hear that everyone has a story about mining, everyone has a story about the impacts that they're already seeing right now from climate change. So for me that was hard but then when I um, talked to some people back home and visited a bunch of people I realised I should start from the personal story, especially as a host, um, taking it home, uh, taking it to basics, something as simple as drinking water um, to, yeah, really start. So that was something that was a challenge for me. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess sort of um, maybe just being able to knuckle down, I guess, <laughs> head down, ass up and just do it. Um, but, yeah, you know, like even I guess it's the same for everyone but um, it's almost like, uh, you know, it's um, it's just bigger in communities, you know, like doing day-to-day stuff you take for granted um, really does sort of um, uh, become harder and, you know, it's just been like since been back on country it's just like constant funerals, um, you know, there's a workmate, um, a neighbour who, you know, you have dinner with and then the next morning he's stabbed and murdered. It's like, yeah, so, um, but, um, you know, even um, even just going to the shop, you know, uh, the barge comes in once a week, you can't fly there on weekends, um, getting out on country, um, trying to get a car, so you've got to, you know, go to Cairns or Mount Isa, which is hundreds of kilometres away. Mm. Um, and then you've got to bring that back to the island. So, yeah, yeah, being able to get in there and do it and um, get the elders and the young people and get out on country. Mm. Mm. That's a massive challenge. <laughs> I don't think there's many people who can relate to where you're at. That, you know. So, both for you, where's, where were the challenges? Um, I guess it's um, um, sort of knowing, um, like you have, I guess, the picture of what you want, or sort of the idea, and sort of just clamping down, trying to understand if this is the right direction that you're going into, like question yourself and stuff. Um, there's always a sort of a, a, a tough sort of avenue or corridor that you go down and stuff as well. Um, but then also, I guess on a personal note as well, like we just had a baby at the start of the year and we've had a bit of troubles um, for the past few months, but everything's back on board and, and that there as well, so everything's all, you know all on course. But, yeah, I guess for that, yeah, it, it's just because we're, we're essentially telling stories that, um, you know, to an extent nobody thought of thought about hearing or wanted to hear, you know. Um, like we're telling our importance and like I said before, it's like we're pitching a story to sort of is it important to the rest of Australia, you know. So um, we're doing our heads in sort of saying, okay, is this the sort of right avenue or right corridor you know, is this going to upset people? Which, you know, you know, I think if you upset people, you're doing the right thing because um, people need to feel uncomfortable, especially in a society that we live in. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I guess it's sort of knowing the importance of the story that we're telling um, and just backing ourselves as well, I think is the biggest thing because me personally, I'm always somebody that always questions sort of the avenues that I go down. Like, even, like, the trailer that um, I'll play, I think I... Um, like on the day, on the Friday, the last day, 
I might have been like one of the first ones finished, but I sat there just thinking, oh, crap, does this actually sound good? Should I put this bed underneath it or should I do this here? And then, and then, I, and then I think I was the last person or the second last person to sort of go on with Nicole and then show her the, show her the trailer. Um, but, yeah, it, it's sort of just backing ourselves, I guess, is sort of um, the difficult part of it. And I guess that's, you know, anybody that's sort of in this podcast sort of area as well as sort of knowing that... Um, um, you know, you sort of have the support of, like, the inner self, support of yourself to sort of, you know, just, just cruise with it as well. What you said then just reminded me of one of my other big struggles, which is, like, trying to make a podcast that reflects our community and is something that, you know, uplifts our community in a positive light without speaking negative negative stories all the time from our community, but also is something that would get funded by you know, generally whiter companies or organisations, it's really hard for people to, um, you know, see our podcast as, like, viable podcasts that mainstream people would listen to. So, like, doing that is really difficult. Like Bo said before, we're 3% of the population. So, yeah, it's really hard to make one that's just, like, you know, works for us, like, and our identity, but also, yeah, it's going to work for the major. Oh, just the fact that it, it is a story that's relevant to anybody else as well. Like, it isn't sort of a niche thing because we're blackfellas. Um, it is a story that sort of has weight behind it and sort of, you know, I guess can direct somebody. Like, you know, I don't know if anybody's read Dark Emu, you know, which is a book, you know, that tells about traditional farming. At the moment, you know, different parts of this country are going through just some serious droughts, which is caused by farming, Western sort of farming. Yeah, this is like, you know, this old uncle wrote a book to sort of correct that stuff. And I'm sure when that first came out, that was sort of an Indigenous thing or a thing over there. But, you know, like this story can, you know, like his story, you know, essentially is sort of, you know, bringing back not just traditional life, but sort of echoing how we can sort of change our society. You know, and each of these sort of podcast ideas that we're pitching or that other podcast that other blackfellas have, you know, speak of that, of sort of, you know, something different that can sort of change the way that we, not just see blackfellas, but sort of see our country as well. Um, I, what I'm hearing you say is that you sort of tend to second-guess yourself because you're in that netherworld between your own mob and being accountable to your own communities and also wanting to tailor the story in a way that will get whitefellas to listen to it. Is that Without it being about a murder. <laughs> no, no true crime here. There's some true, serious true crime in these stories, right? Um, so I'm wondering how you how you work to overcome that, and how you manage the accountability side of things. Well, Steve, I, we were talking about this earlier. The idea that accountability is a very important thing when you when you are telling stories that are about your mob. There's a process you have to get clearance and permissions and make sure that you do the right thing. It's a completely different process to the one that, that happens in a studio or in a production phase. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, second guessing, yeah, definitely all the time. And, yeah, you know, when you've got, um, when you've got that access to those elders, you know, maybe you take that for granted as well, um, being able to link in. And, yeah, of course it's hard to sort of separate between you know, um, being the producer, the journalist or the um, from actually um, being a community member. So, yeah, but, I mean, even, um, even yeah, well, you mean like we were talking about wrong skin? Mm. 
Let's talk about how. <laughs> okay, well, this is a bit bit of a three C, but let's talk about how um, how you collaborate then. Okay, well, so accountability. We'll leave that for now. But but in terms of collaboration, when you because we don't have access to the resources that would make us independent podcast producers, right? We don't have that. Their daily life is is stressful, and you know things. Unless take somebody's time. here that wants to fund us. <laughs> So collaboration can uh, is often the way that you get your stories out, that you're working to or with or for a non-Indigenous podcast producer. And, and that has a special set of challenges mm-hmm. too, doesn't it? So let, let's, let's kind of jump in and talk about those things. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> I, guess, I guess everyone, you know, whether you, you've got your bias, you've got your vested interests. So, yeah, how, how, do, how do you know who's going to be uh, authentic or... Or pure, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, when it comes back to well, okay, for the community I'm from, yeah, I guess you have um, you have it's always the elders, you know, um, or someone who is a representative who can has that access for visitors coming in or outside media, then yeah, definitely um, going through them to get that access to the elders. And I guess on sort of accountability as well, um, it's the closeness to um, the relationship that we have and the sensitivity behind the story that we're telling as well. Um, you know, and, and if somebody's passed away, you know, it, like, like there, there, there is, you know, I guess you could say clauses within sort of telling significant stories, you know, from the Aboriginal community. Um, and it's, yeah, and it's about how we can control that as well. And it's sort of different, you know, I guess, in our space because we can't necessarily turn that off, you know, with an article or with, like, a laptop, you know, because, like, the connectedness that we have, you know, whether related to that person or just off of um, the experience that we have as well, you know, if we're talking about serious issues or not, or cultural issues as well, you know, there is that, those sort of boundaries and those relationships that we have and that we've got to make to sort of maintain to keep that alive as well. So there is, you know, heaps of accountability within that as well, within keeping um, culture alive, but then also having the agency to sort of have having the agency to share that with a broader community as well. Um, something for me that I um, always think about is that, like, often when I'm talking about mining projects, for example, you know, people have signed off on that because for, um, you know, decades now it's been one of the only ways that people are offered jobs, especially in remote places and regional communities. So, like, I'm always really careful to think about the fact that these people that have signed off on it were promised by the minds themselves that they would keep things safe, that they would do that. So um, trying not to start a, you know, we want the mine, we don't want the mine, you know, both people, both both mobs don't want the country destroyed or ruined or um, made unsafe to live in. So, you know, really trying to, like, keep those relationships good because, you know, we don't want to start a war within ourselves. Um, it's especially hard, like, you know, a lot of families have split over that and that's an, another big thing that's, like, power that these companies have over communities. So, like, for me, I'm really trying to you know, keep our communities together and build us up without tearing us down. I think you're hearing about all the challenges, personal, professional, cultural challenges that that Indigenous podcast makers uh, deal with on a daily basis. 
Um, we don't just get up and come to the studio. There's there's a lot of other things that we have we have to carry with us. Um, and I'm wondering if now would be a good time to listen to Nicole's audio so you can get a sense of what she's talking about with this one. This is my Ngawaji country, my father's uncle and mother country, this one. I'm sitting down here at Falls River. Ngabaya we call it. We, we, we sing that song and we dance for Ngabaya. Just to walk around here. I know where I am. I, I won't get lost because I'm, I was born, you know, and they teach me, all the old people they teach me. They don't drink that water anymore. They go and drink it at the, at the tank over there where we, where we get the water out there. So they don't trust their water anymore? No, they don't trust that water anymore in Baralula. We're angry about it. We're angry. I am angry, really. I don't like that sort of a things that happening in Baralula, you know, for the, it, it's fixing people, you know. Yeah. We don't know. More cancer? Because we don't fish in that river there. You know, we don't trust to eat that much fish from there. I actually have some tests and I want to see if we can just test some of the water there and see if, you know, if Yeah, it's, if, you can do that. Glugla before you go, please. Yeah, I will. I will. So I'm going to test this one for heavy metals. These strips here already look purple. That's turning purple. That is definitely, definitely turning, turning purple. purple. How do you say country in Garoa? Nayanda Yaji. Yaji. Yaji is country. Yaji is country. Yaji is country. Yeah, sure. So I, I kind of made that one knowing that it would be in this room where people kind of have a bit of context of what I'm working on and then the fact that I'm talking about the water pollution. So, um, yeah, I kind of made it a bit more cinematic -y than regular podcast um, trailers. But, um, yeah, I kind of wanted to really like let you see how community, like people in community are really angry and don't trust, um, you know, things that are happening. So, yeah. So in the story, uh, as the story goes on, you get the results of the water, the contamination? Yes. So um, I also wanted to leave it on a cliffhanger so that people wouldn't know yeah, what no a purple spoilers. meant. No spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to listen to the podcast to find yeah. out. No, but, yeah, so we do get the test. And actually today, so it's hard because I live in Brisbane right now, so I've also um, sent some follow-up tests, so a, a, a range of medals to find out what it is. So today I think that they'll get that and... Um, it's kind of an ongoing thing right now of, like, filming it. But, um, yeah, so we will get the tests and find out and that's when we'll um, be able to narrow it down of where the contamination is coming from. just wanted to add too that um, there's the cultural impacts 
because um, that's at MacArthur River. Yeah, which um, they how, – how long ago did they divert? So they diverted five and a half kilometres of the river and wiped out a um, men's ceremony um, or sacred site, which uh, we accessed as well from Mornington. So, you know, that's gone now. Yeah, so there's um, – yeah, there's a whole range of things that this one mine um, has had an impact on the community. So, like, it is a really, really – difficult thing to talk about, um, especially because I'm from there and like a lot of family tensions and stuff like that. But yeah, so I'm really trying to focus on the ongoing impacts that people are having um, just to survive and to be able to continue just to live on country with, and, and there's even more things like with impacting culture and everything like that. Yeah. Just to, to add to what Nicole said, the, the w- testing the water at Borolula has been really um, hard to do because the Northern Territory government owns the the health clinic there, and Northern Territory Power and Water are the only company that manages the water. So if they won't test it, there's no way to get an official result. So these these results are really important. Um, it's the only way the community is going to get answers about how contaminated the water supply is there. Yeah, and like um, while I was testing it, um, people like were crowding around um, from. The community to see what the results were and a lot of people were like whoa now I finally believe you because there have been people that have really been championing the fight for you know the truth to be told about the water so like um you know people were like wow I finally believe you and like you, I've captured a bit of that on um the recorder so like that's pretty cool to like not only is it a story to be told and like to be made into a podcast it's also people's lives day to day so like yeah um, so I guess are there differences in the way that First Nations people like to use audio and to tell stories in audio? You want to take that on? Well, well this is just my um, point of view, but like um, I really am trying to stray away from too much using of studios. Like I want to try and um, keep things as genuine as possible, especially where I'm from. Like um, a lot of people are really, really serious about like being on country and telling the stories and being able to speak on behalf of their country where they're from only. So even if it's just down the road and that's not your country, even people telling stories while being there is really hard to do. So, like, for me that's really, like, so we travelled a bit out of Borolula to sit by a river to record that because, um, yeah, that's just, like, best cultural practice. So for me, like, getting sounds that are truly from the place that we're talking about is really important. I don't know where that else is really important. Um, Bo, did you want to add to that with your podcast idea? You're talking about location as well. You're talking about places where massacres took place. How do you how do you bring that to life in your podcast? Well, I guess for Brisbane and to speak of that, like on the sixth of January every year, like we um, in the middle of Brisbane City. Um, in a place called Post Office Square, we just um, with elders and with TOs light a fire. Pretty much, it's sort of maybe a give or two, maybe 20, 30 metres from actually where the actual gallows were in terms of um, where Dundley was hung. So it's important, I guess, to sort of capture um, the audio from the place, but then also understand the location of what it is today and sort of what's under the rubble, you know what I mean, to speak of that as well. You know, it's a, yeah, you know, I, th- I think it's really, really important to sort of you know, capture that in terms of, you know, understanding the location, what it is today, um, 
and sort of imagine how many other people, Aboriginal, non-Aboriginal, you know, that were sort of hung in these gallows. You know, like where Dundley was hung is in Post Office Square and directly behind Post Office Square, I think, is Anzac Square. Um, so the internal flame and then beyond that is Central Station. And where Central Station is located um, now is a, is a natural hill. Um, so when they originally hung Dundley, that's as close as like the Aboriginal people could get to him. And one of his last words was, revenge me. And as, as he dropped, you know, his, his family and like the other Aboriginal people that attended from that hill, you know, were clapping their boomerangs and spears and, and, and that as well. You know, and to sort of think now, you know, you wouldn't even hear, you know, um, footsteps, you know, because there's cars, buses, you know, busy chattering and there's all these other things, which I think sort of makes that location and, and other locations where these sort of places, uh, where these events took place, I guess there's some, some sort of, I don't know if excitement because, you know, nobody knows what happened there. And um, it's sort of unpacking that for people that are, you know, walk past every day. Because I think now there is a post office where the old gallows were. Um, and it's still a pretty old building. I don't know if, that, like, they knocked it down and rebuilt something um, on top of uh, what the gallows were. But I think it's really important to sort of capture that audio, I guess, in the context of that as well, because I live in Brisbane um, and because I've sort of attended these events, you know, for quite some time every year now. Mm. Um, it reminds me of the story of uh, Tanaminawait and Morboy Hina, who were two Aboriginal men from Tasmania who were brought to the mainland with George Augustus Robinson, the first two people hung in the, the colony of Port Phillip, which became Melbourne. Yeah, and they were marched out of old Melbourne jail around the corner to the gallows. There was crowds and crowds of people. It's now the forecourt of RMIT, and just about where the gallows was are two bollards that dropped down into the ground when they need to drive cars up through that area. So there's kind of this, just to reinforce what Bo's saying, is there's so many layers of history to this place that we, people just walk over and wouldn't know that it took place. In that uh, Utopia documentary, uh, Mary McKay takes um, John Pilger to, what's that island? Uh, Just off of Perth there. Rottnest, which is, you know, was a, you know, pretty much a concentration camp for blackfellas and now it's a resort you know, um, where people holiday and, you know, relax and chill, Netflix and chill or whatever, you know, with all this history there. Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's crazy to think um, what took place, um, you know, you could say in your living room or, you know, in different parts of this country that we don't necessarily understand, um, which is why it's important to sort of uncover this stuff more mm. and which you write on quite a bit as well. <laughs> Um, so, so also what you're hearing is that, um, you know, you, you, see, you understand podcasting is a very intimate thing that you're often telling our person, telling our story, a human story to another human. Well, here are stories that you wouldn't hear, but you're having this very special opportunity to hear told from the heart, from the people who own the story, right? Who are the custodians for that story, whether they are old stories or new ones, that's still our tradition sort of operating. Yeah. I think, like, there's always a connectedness within that story as well. Um, there's, you know, like, the way that, you know, I guess we would report on our stories is totally different, the concept behind that connectedness with that, you know, said person that we're doing this interview with is totally different 
to, you know, a non-Aboriginal person sort of interview and that there as well. Like uh, we mentioned it before is, you know, how sort of closely knit, you know, the community is um, and how sort of, you know, pivotal like those stories are. Um, Alan Clark, you know, done a mad podcast about, you know, a young Gumari fella who, who, who was, you know, found out on train tracks you know, the, the powerfulness of that story sort of reopened that case as well. Not just one in Milwaukee, but reopened the case. You know, um, I think people may have come forward, you know, like all this other stuff, you know, from actually going down, you know, talking to the mob, you know, sort of engaging in these conversations again, you know, like this, that's how powerful, you know, um, yeah, you know, that relationship is. And he's been doing that for years as well, going back and forth. Yeah, it was a five-year project, that one. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, so our stories, are, you know, they take time and they take um, real care. And we tell them carefully because we appreciate these opportunities don't come every day. But also we like to have a bit of relief from, from that and to talk about things that unite us all as humans. And one of those is um, um, sex, I guess. So Rowdy's oh, podcast. That's a good segue. Yeah. <laughs> Well as done. it was coming, as it was coming, I thought, oh, oh this is so cheesy, but as I'm going to go ahead. As it was coming, I'm sure. Um, uh, yeah. So, so Rowdy, you wanted to talk about why it's. You wanted to tell stories that aren't necessarily black stories. That you mm. wanted to tell stories that were of interest to you that weren't didn't fit in that box. Yeah. So, I guess I sort of struggled in the sound up boot camp initially because I was like. They're all really important stories and I'm talking about masturbating. Um, <laughs> am I allowed to be here? Um, but I think, I think it's important to have black voices speaking about things that aren't, you know, all of these stories are really worthy, but, like, we can talk about, you know, croissants if we want. <laughs> like, you know, I think representation across all stories and all media not that I don't have to tell a black story, but I'm choosing not to tell a black story because um, I think it has a bit more power to listen to a couple of episodes and then hear me go, by the way, my mother is from here or, you know, uh, I guess tricking people into <laughs> listening to black voices. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So uh, would you like to, should we play some audio? Uh, okay, so this is not... A trailer, and it's not my pilot episode um, because I'm a chronic overachiever. I've built in uh, my uh, sort of schedule of releasing things to have like a, a full length episode, and then every second episode is like a shorter little. Um, I call them quickies. Um, and this, I've been told it needs to have a warning, but I don't think it does. But I guess that says more about me than. Oh, there's a kid here. We've got a small person here, uh, so we might give a chance. Sorry. I was going to say, I think that says more about me than it does about you, but there is a kid here. Sorry. Sorry, Uh, darling. It's it's about masturbating. Um, It's a self-guided... Pardon the pun. Sorry? Sorry. No, what did you say? You said self-guided and I just... Oh, sorry. It's a guided... um... (laughs) It's a guided uh, wank. A quickie is the term given to a sexual romp that is exactly that, quick. It's fast, there's little foreplay and no BS we all need a quickie now and then to get us through the week. Today's quickie. 
perfecting the art of handling your partner's member, or your own. Hi, my name is The Rule Ranger. I am from the Wank Bank Masterclass, so I'm going to take you through some techniques to give yourself or your partner the ultimate handjob. I was working as a happy ending masseuse in New York City, and these are some of the tricks of the trade that I've learned. The first one, which is a dry technique, so no lubrication, is the wiggle. It sounds silly, but it's actually quite good. So what you're actually going to do is you're going to grab your knob or your partner's knob with your thumb and index finger, and you're just going to wiggle it around. So it's about bringing blood up to the knob, which the erogenous zones are at. So we're just wiggling it back and forth. You can even bring it up to your stomach for a bit, down towards the thighs, just giving it quite a bit of pressure. And this brings blood to that area. Next up, which is a lubricated technique, is the corkscrew. So this is a bit of a crowd pleaser. When you put some lubrication in your palm, you're going to go to the base of the shaft. You're going to make like little rabbit ears and you're going to twist top up and out. So you're just as if you're taking off a bottle cap. And you can ride this up and down the shaft. So this gives quite a bit of pleasure. So you can really be a tease with this technique. The next move is cocupressure. For cocupressure, you're going to make like a cocoon with your hands. So you're going to interlock the fingers and then you're going to rest the thumbs across each other. This one you can actually go really tight or really loose. So you can choose where you're going to do it, how far you're going to take it and what kind of pressure you have. So you put the two thumbs on the knob and you go up and down. So making like a little cocoon up and down. Now, if you've got lots of lubrication and if you're playing with a partner and they had a blindfold on, this would feel like you're giving them head. It mimics that sensation. I've had quite a few of my clients think that I'm actually giving them a blowjob while I'm just doing the technique cocoon. Lastly, which me being a good Catholic boy is Palm Sunday, is you're getting a well-oiled palm and you're sitting that on the knob and you're going in a circular motion. This is quite an intense move. Um, sometimes people can find it to be a little too much, but if it is, just ease off and go to the front and then come back around. All right. And then a really good edging technique is a bit like Old Faithful. So most of us will know the up and down technique, but this is one where you're going to leave the cap on. It's called hand grenade. So we're going to put our thumb on the knob, on the little hole there. That little hole's called Euretha Franklin. And we're going to make a little, like a bomb with our hand. So we're going to put the cap on, like a little grenade, and we're just going to go up and down. So it's a nice little up and down edging technique not doing the full motion so we're going to bring up that energy so people have a more intense orgasm at the end all right practice makes perfect so make sure you try it out on yourself and your friends that was up on aisle three new episodes weekly for more follow us on instagram at search engine sex and check out our bangers for banging yourself playlist on spotify see you next time hornbags that's, that's marvellous. That's really, really, um, really great stuff. I'm just wondering how people are going to listen to it on the bus. <laughs> It'd be a good bus ride, I'm sure. It would be, yeah. Um, so what was the, using the, the automated voice is a really interesting idea. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, so um, I guess I was just trying to build in the the podcast is called Search Engine Sex and it's all about like the data that comes from Google. Um, so I kind of wanted to give that sort of like early 90s internet vibe 
Um, but also I, it makes it really easy and achievable for me because it's not recording. It's like type these words into a generator, slap the, you know, end, the front and the back on to the end of the edited interview and there's a, you know, a seven-minute episode. So it's kind of a double jewel of like making something that's got a really cool aesthetic that I'm into and also it's achievable for me. Is it? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, there was some comic potential in there as well. Unintentional, uh, sort of unexpected, yeah, unintentional. Yeah. He's yeah. really great. Um, and if anyone wants to try it out, I'll send you the link. <laughs> <laughs> so important community service being provided here today. <laughs> um, so I'm mindful that we've only got a few more minutes and we haven't heard Bo or um, Steve's audio, so we might get to that now. So Steve, did you want to uh, introduce this one? This is you talking to elders in the community to do a complete 360 from where we just were <laughs> to talk about these, these are dreaming stories. Have I got that right? That, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so this shorter clip, as I said, like get a minute or two. Now I feel like mine's just like, oh, just chucked it in there. A bit too short. Um, but yeah, so this is um, one of the elders or one of the eldest elders uh, on the island, um, uh, Cyril Moon, and um, he's telling the Moon story, so uh, which is biddable. But this clip, he's actually just talking about, you know, his concerns around uh, cultural retention. Thinking about um, about people keeping their language. Oh yeah, I don't know anybody know about language now. All forgotten about language. Same with the culture. But I never let my language go. What I thought, what they were teaching me. I listen to people, old people talk language. I talk. You can talk language. Let me to pick up this thing. I will pick them up. Kudal, Churdal, Man, Man Gat, Moro. You tell me, tell me, go give me spear, give me spear. This Man Kurumo, Moro. Yeah. Mm. Like you're saying, for learning from the old people. Do you think the young people are doing that now or no. or what can they do? Well, he can do whatever he wants to do. If he got a woman or man to teach them, to do the teach. He's He got no, no understanding. Or he don't want to listen or take notice of what this old fella tell him to do. Or tell him the story, you know. He look away, head down, play about, like dirt, like dulga, scream it like bullet, cringe like dirt. He don't want to take any notice of what he's saying. And that, that man you heard singing in the background is Steve's dad. Yeah, yeah so 
goes deep. So that old man, yeah, no, go. You want to talk to... Oh, uh, sorry, you just made me think about, you know, like, um, yeah, so that was, the song was recorded um, at one of the Worm Adelaide festivals in Adelaide um, where the dancers performed and Dad was singing, obviously, before he passed away. Um, so, yeah, that's part of it too is is um, capturing that knowledge and the mm. stories before they're gone <laughs> because mm. then, yeah, that's... Um, uh, pretty well prized audio in the community too because yeah dad was um one of the last strong songmen um and also i i was looking at you all listening to that that old man talking um i'm not a, i'm not sure how much of what he said you you really heard um i think that this uh, i think from my perspective it's important to hear those voices even if you don't get every word because um you need to hear the way what people say, the way they say it, and maybe make a bit of, do the work a bit to hear, to understand how he's talking. Because I asked Steve at one point, what did he say there? And it wasn't what I thought he'd said, eh? <laughs> but, um, but there's real power in, in what, what they have to say. You just have to really, you know, make take that step and make the work to, to listen. Yeah, I think that was um, why I chose that part too, was to try to consider or share, well, how do I go now about... Um, trying to translate that and um, what are people picking up from that um, and where to go because, yeah, you know, you're giving that the access but, yeah, how much are they taking away from that? So that'll be part of the, the podcast sort of as you as you go in further, you're going to be talking about, like looking at how you, trans, not translate, but how you tell that story. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's a challenge, another challenge. And finally, I think we've got Bo's audio, um, last but not least, um, do you want to no, give us a description of this audio? It was, um, yeah, just sort of um, trying to tell uh, the importance of, you know, the said individuals that will be in uh, the podcast and their relevance um, and their sacrifice. You know, not just to, to the life they lived in the, you know, 1700s, the 1800s or the 900s, you know, um, What's the relevance today to younger people? Um, so, like, originally my idea with the trailer, like, I, I end up just reading a script for the trailer, but I wanted to use, um, like, a young person and an older person, um, you yeah, know, and the story behind, like, this idea with the trailer is, um, you know, uh, this this young boy and, and, and a grandfather are um, just driving down the road and, you know, the young kids just flicking on the radio. Uh, they get out of the car the surroundings sort of set the mood. Uh, so you hear the footsteps, the crunching leaves, then you hear the old fellow say, oh, you know, grab this wood over here. Um, you're going to you know, light a fire. Um, you hear the flicking of the, the lighter or the match. Um, and then you hear the old fellow saying, oh, do you know about this person? You know, do you know why it's important? Um, so it's sort of, yeah, just the idea behind the trailer that you know, eventually want to make is sort of, um, you know, I guess around the idea of um, uh, the importance of, you know, these individuals um, and their relevance to today. Me trying to talk now, talk about it now doesn't really give it justice or to the trailer, but yeah. Sounds like a campfire story almost, sitting around a fire mm -hmm. talking, yarning in the old way. So, well, yeah, like that, that's sort of, um, I think like that's for me, the powerful thing about um, podcasting and audio is it's taking back um, storytelling um, 
and like I said earlier, you know, it's it's sort of changing. It's it's dismantling the way that stories were told for the last two hundred years, two hundred years, or anywhere in the world where Indigenous peoples have sadly sort of, you know, uh, been displaced. You know, their history, their narrative has been written in these books, um, and sort of it's, it's it's grabbing that out and putting life into the stories that are already there. It's a really fantastic way to end it. So can you join with me in thanking our panel? Bryce Bearham, Daddy Walton, Nicole Hutton and Steve from Veggie Watt. Thank you. You've just heard from four finalists from Spotify's Sound Up program, a podcast boot camp for First Nations podcasters. Thanks to Bo Spearham, Nicole Hutton, Rowdy Walden and Steve Bumbergee-Hodder-Watt for sharing their work and to Lorena Allen for moderating the showcase. Thanks to Podcast One Australia's Andrew Renfrew for recording this episode. The AudioCraft podcast is produced and mixed by Ryan Pemberton and the music is produced by James Milsom. If you haven't already, subscribe to the AudioCraft podcast. New episodes from 2019's festival will appear in your feed every Wednesday and there's a whole back catalogue of audio advice for you to explore. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll like this conversation from 2016 about collaborative storytelling. Here's Queen G from Radio Skid Row. I just think, you know, if you're going to open up the airwaves, you're going to switch on the mic, if you're going to press record, you know, let it be something that needs to be heard, something that's important. If you'd like to keep in touch, sign up to our newsletter at audiocraft.com.au and find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We're at AudioCraftFest. Fest.